Hey, what's good, fam? We appreciate you tuning in to the South City Church Podcast. It's our prayer that as you hear the better story of Jesus, you might experience more of his redemptive power in every square inch of your life. Hey, we're a church plant. We benefit greatly from outside support. So if you'd like to partner with our ministry here, you can go to southcityrva.com slash give and join us in seeing strangers made family in Christ in Richmond and beyond. God bless and shalom. Uh, Just by way of reminder, uh, we are going to be blessed with a number of, of different guest speakers this summer. Uh, We were blessed by Ed Marcel last week and got a few more to come in the coming weeks. And so rather than our normal sermon series, we've kind of left the the topics and weeks open to the the guest preachers to make their life a little bit easier because most of them are regularly preaching elsewhere. Um, We were originally going to be in the Proverbs this summer. We usually do Psalms. We were going to be in the Proverbs. So we don't have a whole series on it, but we're going to be in Proverbs this morning. So go ahead and turn there, Proverbs 4, and we're going to be working through verses 20 through 27. Um, and, and really, this, this passage and this sermon is a, is a discipleship sermon, right? We normally hear discipleship sermons from the New Testament and following Jesus, uh, but they're in the Old Testament too, and we understand more of it through Jesus, but this is a... This is a a sermon on following Jesus. And, and, and we all know that following Jesus, like there's, there's a partnership in this, right? That God is at work. God is shaping our hearts. God is strengthening us. God is speaking to us. God is refining us. God is giving us faith. God is like doing all this work. And Ed reminded us well of that last week as he spoke of Jesus being our foundation upon which everything is built. Jesus is our destination and Jesus is the one who like shoulders us and carries us along the way. And then there's our part, right? We don't just hop on the ride to be entertained and let God do everything. He does the, 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 the forming work, but he asks us to, to participate, to join in his mission. And so we have a role in this. And so I just want to preface up front, if this was a perfect, perfectly well-rounded sermon, we'd have, we'd have a, a good balance of what God is doing and what we're doing, but the, the focus this morning is on kind of our role. But I just want to, want to preface that, that God is at work in all of this, and I think most of our discipleship sermons uh, would lean towards God's work. He's the one moving and changing behind the scenes, drawing, initiating and maybe sometimes we, we neglect our role in it. And so God is in everything we talk about this morning. But the focus is, is going to be how do we follow Jesus step by step, year after year. Uh, so let's, let's read our passage. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, 
and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. And so these, these verses, we see different body parts. We see the heart, we see the mouth, the eyes, and the feet. And what we like, when we think about that, what we see is that discipleship is meant to be integrated. It's an all of life following Jesus. That involves all of our bodies, hearts. <laughs> it involves every single part of us. It's not just a, a discipleship of the mind. We think the right things, we're good. It's not just we feel the right things and we're good. Or we just go out and do the right things. It's, it's our whole selves. God wants all of us. When he asks us to come and to, to follow him. And so, uh, really, we have kind of four points this morning. An integrated discipleship involves, one, the heart that is kept by the Word. It incorporates the, the mouth that flees perversion. The eyes that do not wander and the feet that do not swerve. Following Jesus, to repeat it again, involves the heart that is kept by the word, the mouth that flees perversion, the eyes that do not wander, and the feet that do not swerve. And the, the context here is a father speaking to his son. And that the words are words of wisdom and instruction that a father would give to his son. Right? And translate that to, to, to us. This is our Heavenly Father giving us His wisdom, giving us His Word. And it's a charge to listen carefully and to follow the words of the Father. And so let's, let's jump into number one. Following God involves a heart that is kept by the Word. Notice how these verses start. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. It's important to, to start by looking at why God's word is important. And one, we see that they are life to those who find them. These words that God has given us are our life. They're not, just, they're not just rote lists of things we obey. It is a way of life. It's a way of life that transforms our life. God's Word teaches us what the good life is. Everyone in our society is longing for the good life and asking, what is the good life and how do I find it? And God says, it's here, it's found in my words. They are life. And it's not just life later. We talk a lot, I talk a lot, Jonathan talks a lot about the new heavens and the new earth. And the ultimate, the fulfillment, uh, the completion of the good life will be then. But it starts now. This is not just a religion about later, it's about now. God's words brings blessing to our lives today. 
Lars, I was thinking about you as I was reflecting on this this week. You have kind of recently fallen back in love with God's words, or maybe for the first time. There's been a, a, a transformation in your life over the last six months, and you have been devouring God's word. Like you've, you've, you told me you've read it all the way through at least once, like once and a quarter since, since January. You're devouring it. Why? Because God's over you with a heavy hand saying, do it? No, it's given you life. It's given you life. You've told me that. It doesn't mean you're not suffering. It doesn't mean you still have, don't have hardships, but it's like transforming your life. It's given you joy you didn't have before. It's given you a peace amidst some really hard circumstances you didn't have six months ago. It's given you life. It's so good. It gives life, and also in verse 22 it says, and, and healing to all their flesh. God's word is a, a healing balm to sufferers and sinners. It brings comfort to us when we're down. It brings peace to us when we're anxious. It brings hope to us when we're depressed and discouraged and we don't want to live another day. And it also convicts us of our sin, which leads us to repentance and into new seasons of healing and growth. God's word is life and it's healing. And then notice the role of the heart here. The first body part he mentions is uh, the heart. Well, it's not, it's not the first. Really, it's the center. Look at verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Um, in the Hebrew, and it's, it's translated in the NIV, it actually says, above all else, keep your heart with all vigilance. Like above all things, above everything else, keep watch over your heart. Protect your heart from straying, from, from wandering. And I think it's important to just for a minute speak to the the way the heart is used in Scripture. It's not just talking about the physical organ that pumps blood to your body. Uh, it's, it's talking about the, the, like, the command center of yourself. The, the seat of your emotions and affections and thoughts that then leads to your actions. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, says, Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of our body in our words... And our postures and our actions is flowing from our heart. That's the core, it's the center of who we are. It's the source of all our bodily activity. And it's important to note that, that, that what one is or who one is and, and what one does are inseparable. You don't have this person in here and then these actions on the outside that are different. Your actions, your words are coming from who you are, they're in, inseparable. And so the author, the, the father, says, pay attention to my words, incline your ear to my words, and keep your heart 
with vigilance. I want to read uh, a few paragraphs from, this is a book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. And at the end he mentions the, the soul, uh, but you could, you, could, you could put heart in here. So this is from John Ortberg. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided that they had better uh, things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury that they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches, branches, and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. For a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere. The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found. The old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned. The stream was pure. Children played on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home, and the village came back to life. The life of the village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your heart, and you are the keeper. In a lot of ways, we are the, the keeper of our hearts. The center of who we are, from which everything else flows, we're called to be vigilant and watching over and guarding it. So that it does become, doesn't become polluted, that it remains pure. Ultimately, God is the ultimate keeper of our hearts and our souls, but we are invited to, to, to play a role in this. And so here we see that God's words are the words of life. And God's design is to take those words of life and implant them into the source of life within us, our heart. So that 
God's word becomes the operator of the command center of our life. We're to pay attention to the word, incline our ear. We're to saturate ourselves in the word of life so that life flows from our hearts into our words and into our actions. And God, through his word, operates the control center. Following Jesus involves a heart that's kept by, that's guarded, that's protected by the word. Second, it involves a a mouth that flees perversion. Look at verse 24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. And so we, we see it's not just enough to restrain the heart, although that's part of it. One must also keep track of the body parts, the members through which the heart works. So we're to watch our speech. We're to put away crooked speech and put devious talk far away from us. There's a a lot of different categories of speech that we could talk about, but I want to highlight three that I think might get us in the most trouble and ones that, that can go unnoticed. Like there's certain things we all know we shouldn't say, certain ways we, we shouldn't speech, speak. But I think we, we struggle with these in ways that we're actually self-deceived and we don't know we're doing them. And the first is gossip. Gossip is, is taking someone else's truth where it doesn't belong. It's not always necessarily malicious intent, like slander, but it's subtle. We take information that belongs to someone else, and we take the authority to extend it places it shouldn't go. And oftentimes this gossip like, is covered over with a spiritual veneer. Right? How many times have you said, like me, hey, I'd love for you to be praying for this person. I heard that they're really struggling with this. That sounds holy. You're inviting a brother or sister to pray. But if you're like me, there have been many times where you actually, if you get beneath the surface, you're asking them to pray so that you can point out someone else's weakness. So under the surface, you feel a little bit better about yourself. Be careful, brothers and sisters, of gossip. Especially gossip that seems spiritual, but isn't actually loving and probably is, is, is being used to serve yourself in some way. Um, woman that Lee and I used to go to church with, she was a, a hairdresser. And she had a little uh, salon in her house. And I remember her one time sharing about all the gossip that would take place in her seat. All the gossip that these women would share with her and other women in her basement. And she said it was like astounding, the gossip that would take place in her salon. And this is not just true of women. This is men and women together equally. We struggle with this. Watch your language. Put away gossip. Put it away, far away from you. How about half-truths? Right? We start by saying something that's true, and at some point in the conversation, we bend it a little bit. 
We fabricate it. We embellish it just a little bit. And usually because it serves us well. I've had times where I've gotten into the middle of a conversation, shared, shared something, and I realized that where I was going in the conversation was going to look bad upon me. And so I, I kind of rewrote the story on the spot. It was subtle. It's fast. So, it, it, so I didn't look bad. Beware of have-truths. The Lord wants full truth from us, not partial truth. The last one I want to mention is flattery, which the definition of flattery is excessive and insincere praise, given especially to further one, one's own interests. Do you ever flatter somebody? Say something positive or affirming that deep down you don't actually believe? Because if you do so, they'll like you more? When what that brother or sister actually needs is some hard-spoken truth. To say, hey, actually, like, you wounded me in this way. This, this offended me. We're called to speak the truth to one another in love, not to, not, not to offer flattery that's, that's, that's disingenuous and that serves ourselves. Don't build one another up so that you're built up. Be honest with one another. And at times that means speaking really hard truths to that person because you love them and you want them to grow, not stay the same. Um, other aspects of speech could, could be slander, grumbling, lying, boasting, coarse joking, and any words that tear down rather than build up, as the Apostle Paul speaks of. And listen, words flow from our hearts, but over time, our words then cycle back and pollute our hearts even more. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. If I grumble all the time, which is coming from a, a, an ungrateful heart, but if I grumble outwardly all the time, that's just like pouring fertilizer on the soil into my roots of grumbling in my heart and, and letting those roots spread down deeper. And it's a vicious cycle. Watch your words. Put away crooked speech. Put devious talk far away from you. The way of Jesus involves a heart that's kept by the word. The mouth that flees perversion. And third, eyes that do not wander. Look at verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Proverbs 27.20 says, Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Say that again. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. Our eyes, not, not just physically what we physically look at, but the things we, we long for, they're always searching for new stimuli. Something new. Something better. Something flashy. Something convenient. Something instant. Never satisfied are the eyes of man. 
And Proverbs 17.24 says, The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. The author is, here is saying we're on a path. It's a narrow path. It's the way of Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on the path. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because to the sides of the path, to the ends of the earth, are, are tons and tons of stimuli to offer us what only Jesus can give us. Where are the places your eyes wander when you lose sight of Jesus? Maybe more specifically, where do your eyes wander when you're bored? Where does your attention go to when you're bored and restless? Or how about this? Where do your eyes wander when you're tired? When you're beat up and you just want relief? Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcohol, nicotine, food. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's shopping. The list could go on and on. But think about it. What is it for you? We all have different flashy things, shiny things that our eyes wander to when we're not satisfied in Christ. Especially when we're bored and when we're tired and weary and we just want to escape, we just want relief. What is it for you? Where do your eyes wander? The author of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the only one that will satisfy the desires of your heart. So keep your eyes fixed on Him. The things your eyes want to wander to, they don't satisfy. They're what the, the author of Ecclesiastes says is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind. It takes you off course. And you end up wounded and hurt and empty. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He will satisfy your soul. Following Jesus involves a heart that is kept by the word, the mouth that flees perversion, eyes that do not wander, and lastly, feet that do not swerve. Look at verse 27. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The father is telling the son that the son must take care that every step Every single step conforms to the way and to the path, to wisdom, to righteousness. And the Father here demands an extreme separation from the wrong way and an extreme commitment to the right path. There's not a, there's not a third way here. I think too often we want to walk with one foot on the path of following Jesus and one foot off the path. And we think that we can keep heading the right way, one foot on, one foot off. 
We see how close we can get to the edge of the path without falling off. We push the boundaries. We see how close we can get to sin without actually sinning. I do this every week. I do this every day. I put myself in situations I know I shouldn't put myself into and I assume I'm going to be okay. And we put ourselves in an environment where we're more likely to sin but trust that we have the strength to resist temptation. Uh, I'm a bit of a a pyro in that I love fire and playing with fire but um, fire's good but fire can also be bad and I think a lot of times we're like pyromaniacs who like to play with fire and pour some gasoline on it rather than run from it or take the hose to it. Let's see how close we can get without getting burned. It's not the way of Jesus. It's not what this author is saying. Do not swerve at all to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Don't take one step towards it. I'm going to switch up my structure here briefly. We're good on time. I'm going to give a little bit of application and then going to end with something else. Some application. Immerse your life in the words that are good and true. Immerse your life in God's word. Spend time in it daily. Reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, journaling about it, praying it. I know we talk about this a lot, but it seems to be in Scripture a lot. Immerse your life in God's Word. Keep watch over your hearts. Keep your hearts with all vigilance. There is a, um, an, an ancient spiritual discipline called examine. And it's typically done at the end of the day. At the end of the day, you ask yourself a few questions. And there's a lot of different questions you can ask. But here's just a few. End of each day, take 10 minutes and ask yourself some questions. Questions like, where did my eyes wander today? When was I most anxious today? When was I most sad? When did my foot step off the path today? When did I experience love and belonging today? These can be positive and negative questions. But it's to attend to, to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. And I've done this for a season and it's really helpful. There's so much that goes on underneath the hood during the day that I'm unaware of. And taking 10 to 15 minutes to ask these questions about my own heart, and then taking those questions and then turning them into a a prayer for the Lord to heal and restore and sanctify is a gift. So I would encourage you to, to practice, examine some questions at the end of the day in order to protect and guard your heart. 
Identify where your speech gets perverted. That's the starting place. Most of us speak flippantly without really paying attention or at least, at least carefully paying attention to what we're saying. Just take a, a survey of your speech. What are the areas that you fall into where your speech gets perverted? Be attentive to those things. Starts by identifying them. Once you identify them, they're up here. And once you identify them, then when they happen or you're tempted to go there during the day, it's more likely like that light is going to blink and you're going to be able to stop. Or you can quickly turn and confess, turn to the Lord, repent. Get accountability from others in this. Share with your wife or your roommates or your small group or your huddle. Hey, these are ways that I'm struggling with my speech. When you hear them, will you, will you confront me? When I don't see that I'm gossiping, will you call me out on it? I don't want to do this anymore. Get accountability from the people who know you the most. Identify where your eyes wander. I gave a list of things earlier, but the list could be much longer. You know where your eyes wander. Identify that. Again, put it in your, in your mind and your memory. Identify it. So when it comes up, you cannot take that first step towards it. Identify the places you wander off the path. And don't take the first step. It's so easy to say, hey, I'll do this, and I'll do this, but I'll draw the line there. Like, draw the line here. If you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're likely to sin or more likely, like, don't go there. There's a lot of other places you can go. And in those moments, redirect your, your, your mind to Jesus and to his word. For me, at the end of the day, when I'm tired and weary, and I want to just go watch Netflix, just so I can veg out and escape, I'm not saying Netflix is bad, but for me, many times it is. I'm stressed and I'm tired, and rather than going to Jesus, I go to Netflix. So for me, in the nights when I'm weary and tired and I want to do that, I just say no. <laughs> I'm not going to turn it on. I'm going to spend a few minutes in the Word and prayer. And then maybe play a game with my wife. We did that last night and she crushed me and I was really cranky about it. She just destroyed me in five crowns. I'm still getting over that. So let's end with like, let's end with a reward. What's the purpose of all this? Is it to heap up rules and regulations to make our lives harder? It's not. And we're just going to look at Proverbs 4 and, and Proverbs 3. What's the reward for walking in the path this way? Look at verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Following Jesus down this path keeps us out of the darkness. Keeps us in the light where we can see. And where the light is, there's life. Look at verse 6. Do not forsake her, being wisdom. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Walking with Jesus, committed, immersed in his word, his wisdom keeps us, protects us, guards us.
It doesn't mean we'll have less suffering in life. But it means we'll have less folly and foolishness that leads to a bunch of self-inflicted pain. It's a better way to live. It will protect us from our own stupidity and danger. Look at verses 8 and 9. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The way of Jesus actually exalts us. It brings us honor. It beautifies us. And then lastly, look back at uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. We'll close here. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who lay hold her fast are called blessed. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And we know later on in Scripture that that wisdom is not just words, it's a person. Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's the word of God. This is the way that leads to Jesus. And if we live this way, we will be blessed in so many ways. This life is a blessing, it's not a punishment. So may our hearts be kept by God's word. May our mouths flee perversion. May our eyes not wander. May we have feet that do not swerve, but stay on the path of Jesus, looking to him the founder and perfecter perfecter of our faith. And he will carry us through to the end. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that you have made a way for us to experience the good life. You have not left us to our own devices, wandering all the treacherous paths, drinking water from polluted streams. You've come down in the person of Jesus. And you've walked the path before us. You've constructed the path for us. You've walked down it before us. You've paved the way. And you've given us your spirit that we can continue on the path. You've given us your word to keep us from erring and falling off. You've given us your word. You've given us Jesus to look to to be satisfied so that we don't need 
all the temptations that we want to go to that never satisfy and leave us wounded. You've given us everything we need. May we keep going forward, Lord. Give us the strength to be disciplined in our relationship with you, to guard our heart with all vigilance, to keep our eyes fixed forward, to keep our, our mouth from slander and gossip, and to keep us moving forward by faith step by step. Give us zeal. Give us an excitement for this, Lord. Help us to see you more clearly. And may you satisfy our souls. Thank you for speaking to us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.